Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. Leaders are the heartbeat of any organization. Let Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler share with you the pathway to becoming a top leader in your organization. Now, here are your hosts, Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler. Welcome to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers. I'm Dr. Relly Nadler. My esteemed co-host, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, will not be with us today. And I'm excited to talk about acceptance and commitment therapy. So how do you become uh, psychologically flexible, uh, especially in this time as we're coming out of the pandemic and only about a third of people are going back to work and there's a lot of things that are dealing with adversity. You know, we've been talking about this VUCA in Environment, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And so as a leader, um, what are some of the ways that you can help people dealing with, you know, some of the adversity, some of the ambiguity, some of the uncertainty? So I'm really excited that we're going to be talking with Dr. Diana Hill today, who's an expert a psychologist. I'll give you a little bit more of her uh, background in, in a moment. Um, but really unpacking what is this acceptance and commitment therapy, how do we use this, you know, as a leader, as a coach, uh, to help people get a better sense of how to be, you know, flexible, how to be resilient. And so, you know, Kathy and I have been doing our show for quite a while, 14 years, with uh, Leadership Development News. And one of the things that we've really been focusing on this past year is this idea of being emotionally brilliant. It's a subset of the bigger aspect of emotional intelligence. You know, emotional intelligence has all these competencies, you know, leadership competencies, um, self-control, trustworthiness, flexibility, which we're going to talk about today, uh, influence, teamwork, collaboration, just to name some of those. But in the moment, what do you pull out of your grab bag to be the best in the moment? And that's really what we're talking about with this idea of emotionally brilliant. In a sense, and I'll ask our our guest, Diana, today, this idea, in the moment, what's your go-to? What do you pull out to be your best? You are making a presentation in front of a a board or your leadership team. What do you pull out of your closet that's just going to make you feel comfortable, confident? You know, yeah. What's the, the outfit, the uh, dress, shirt, slacks that you say, okay, this is, this is where I'm going to feel my best. It's the target idea. What's the bullseye? So this whole idea of helping you expand, improve, and select your best emotional competencies and strengths so that you can master the moment. And so that's this uh, idea that we've been focusing on with emotional brilliance in the way uh, many of you are familiar with emotionalbrilliance.com and we have the emotional brilliance uh, slash academy that has a whole set of tools and e-learning to help you with that. So let me introduce our guest today and the title of this is Becoming Psychologically a Flexible Leader with ACT, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. So Dr. Diana Hill is a clinical psychologist. She's an expert in acceptance and commitment therapy, which is a cutting-edge 
evidence-based form of psychotherapy that helps people develop psychological flexibility. So we have a series of questions that we're going to dive deep to get a better sense of what that's like. Uh, Diana is on the other side of the microphone now because she co-hosts a podcast, uh, Psychologist Off the Clock uh, podcast, which I've listened to. And she's interviewed many leaders in the field in psychology, mindfulness, wellness. Um, and then she has a new uh, book, which we are uh, going to delve into, with her co-author, Dr. Debbie Sorensen. And it's called Act Daily Journal. Get unstuck, live fully with acceptance and commitment therapy. Which she teaches about the importance of being psychologically flexible. How do we untangle ourselves from these unhealthy patterns that can leave us battling ourselves and the present moment? So what I like about the journal, it's for eight weeks, but in every, in, we know, in, uh, and each week has uh, seven days. So there's basically 56 different tools, um, activities that can help you take a deep dive into being the best that you can. And so before we bring her on, a, a word about uh, Dr. Kathy Greenberg, my co-host. You know, she is the author of nine books. She's a couple of leadership development centers. Together we have uh, the Emotional Brilliance book, but she's also done, you know, many other books. Uh, Fearless Leaders, Sharpen Your Focus is one of the key ones. And then myself, if you've been following us, you know, author of seven books, probably the Leading with Emotional Intelligence is one of the key ones. And then also working in the medical field, physician burnout. How do we allow emotional intelligence to help us? So for more information about us, you can go to www.emotionalbrilliance.com. So with that, uh, Diana, thank you so much for being a, a part of the, of the show today. And, uh, and welcome. And I've got a series of questions I want to ask you. Well, thank you. It's such, it's such a treat to be here, and I really love talking about ACT. And you mentioned it being acceptance and commitment therapy, but in the workplace and organizations, sometimes we call it acceptance and commitment training because it's not just a therapy. It's actually a training, a series of processes that can help you live more fully in your life as well as increase your performance at work. Oh, that's great. I like that. And I noticed, you know, yeah. Uh, you're a psychologist in private practice uh, and also doing coaching. And, and in, in my past, I had a private practice as a psychologist, but really for the last uh, 25 years or so, just doing more coaching. But very you know, similar crossover from some of the tools that we've used with uh, individuals and then also in the corporate world. So before we jump yeah. into, into ACT, tell us a, you know, a little bit of history. We always like to kind of find out who's been most influential in your life that kind of brought you to where you are today? Yeah, you know, I think, you know, thinking about that in terms of uh, my work clinically, probably the most influential people have been one, Kelly Wilson, who you and I talked about. He's one of the co-founders of ACT, and I went to one of his workshops early on when I was uh, in training as a, to become a psychologist, and he really blew my mind because here I was in a very cognitive behavioral training program, passing worksheets to people and very, feeling very separate from uh, my clients, right? But deep inside, I knew that my, I struggled with some of the same stuff that my clients did. We were, we were, we're all humans, right? And Kelly Wilson yeah. was, um, when I went to a workshop with him, he, 
he talked about the processes of psychological flexibility, but also how he uses them in his own life. And in his, he was a recovered from an addiction. And here he is a very successful uh, professional, but also has his own personal struggles that he'd use these practices with. So he really opened my eyes to the, to the fact that I can be human as well as be a coach and a therapist at the same time. Um, one of the other folks that uh, has really influenced me is more of a spiritual teacher, which is Thich Nhat Hanh. When I was in my 20s, I went to Plum Village, which is in France, to study from Thich Nhat Hanh, who I would say is probably one of the most influential um, folks to bring mindfulness to the West, folks that know Kabat-Zinn and some of his work with mindfulness-based stress reduction or other sort of um, mindfulness practices. A lot of them trace back to the teachings of this Zen monk, Thich Nhat Hanh, and I had an opportunity to study directly with him in Plum Village uh, and learn mindfulness really from that master. So that's been something that has wow. stayed with me forever and, and influences a lot of my work um, currently. So those uh-huh. two, and then I would say the third, of course, is just as many probably people would say is my mom. <laughs> she's an inspiration. She's a, she's a painter. She's a writer and really uh-huh. living her values out um, fully. She's, she's fully engaged in her life and does what she loves and um, has been through a lot uh, uh, in her life, uh, lived in Peru for much of it, and uh, really? has really influenced me in terms of, yeah, how to, how to live more fully and engaged. Oh, that's great. That's great. Well, I know you're passing that, some of this wisdom on to the people that you deal with, and and uh, you have two kids. Is that right? Yeah, I have two boys that are uh, school age. They're in the they're in the easy uh, the easy ages. They're eight and eleven. But uh, uh-huh. I'm also yeah, I'm a mom. I'm a homesteader. I we keep bees and have a big organic vegetable <laughs> garden here in Santa Barbara. And um, yeah, there's, I wear lots of different hats. Uh, that's great. That's great. Well, just a couple things that, that we had in common. I, I mentioned, you know, both my wife and I, who who is Julie Hayes Nadler, a, a registered dietitian, works with eating disorders, and I know you guys professionally have connected. So we had a, a workshop years ago with Kelly Wilson in Boulder, and I and it was right in the midst of a, a huge storm uh, that they had there, and uh, we went to dinner with Kelly that night, which was pretty interesting. Uh, you know, you don't always mm-hmm. get a chance to do that. Um, so I'm excited to hear, you know, some of the learnings. And then especially, you know, learning from uh, Teach Not Han. You know, for me, I've been a, a meditator for uh, actually right out of college. And so has been a big uh, calming effect and, and perspective effect, which is talking about perspective of one of the ACT uh, principles. So let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about what is ACT and some of the research supporting it. I know... We always like in our podcast um, things that are interesting, for sure, um, but when it has uh, evidence base, and I think for our listening audience, you know, that just adds that because there's so many, as we know, different theories and things out there, but when someone, something's really got the evidence behind it, to me, just kind of promotes it more and gives it more value. So tell us a little bit about some of that. Yeah, so... It's interesting that the research on ACT has just been skyrocketing uh, over the past decade. It's been around since the 80s, but it's really caught hold as a sort of a modern cognitive behavioral therapy. It's, it's built on the back of cognitive behavioral therapy, but there's some key differences to it yeah. from um, some of the older approaches, especially around thoughts um, and incorporating some more values-based work. But at this point in time, there's over 600 randomized controlled trials of ACT. And what's interesting about it is that 
it's used in so many different domains and researched in so many different domains. So in the mental health domain, we see benefits of ACT for anxiety and depression, substance use, chronic pain, insomnia. There's been research in all of those areas. But it's also been shown to be really helpful in the area of relationships. Uh, some folks have done some research even during COVID looking at this concept of psychological flexibility, which is what ACT teaches skills around, how to develop your psychological flexibility, and we can talk about what those components are. But during COVID, folks that were um, more psychologically flexible showed that they had lower uh, impact of this COVID stress in terms of spillover effects under their families. They also had um, more improved uh, mental health, less insomnia. So during times of stress, ACT is really helpful for resilience and being able to adapt to the inevitable challenges that show up in life. But then ACT has also been shown to be very helpful in terms of performance. So I know that's what we're talking about today in terms of leadership, but it's been shown to be um, beneficial in organizational settings for work performance. When you're more psychologically flexible, you have uh, fewer actually uh, errors, reduced reduced work errors. So they've looked at um, a leader's ability to be present in the here and now as well as be psychologically flexible and create psych flexible workplaces in combination with workers' flexibility, you see reduced um, errors. We also see greater um, decreased burnout and and, and increased uh, motivation to continue to pursue difficult things. In terms of performance, it's also used with athletic performance. They're using ACT with Olympic athletes, uh, with health behaviors. It's also even used like in chess. (laughs) So it's it's all over the place. And the reason why is because it's really about human functioning and human flourishing. And what are the, the sort of six core things that contribute to you being able to flourish in your life, whether that's in your relationships or your health or your work? Wow, that's great. Uh, and so thank you so much for, for sharing that. I've, I've written down some of those stats, because uh, especially you know, for myself working in organizations and for many people in our audience, you know, uh, as we're coming out of COVID, you know, supposedly about 40% of people in the, in the midst of COVID were either uh, anxious or depressed or both. Now, that's come down a little bit. I think it's around 30%. Um, so just dealing with, like I mentioned at the start of this, this ambiguity, uh, do I go back to work? Um, I don't know if I want to go back to work. Or what about if people aren't vaccinated, but I am vaccinated? Just, you know, all this anxiety and that uncertainty uh, is, is mm-hmm. huge for, for everybody. So as we talk about this psychological flexibility, um, you mentioned some of this, but maybe anything else, why this is important um, for us as leaders, and then that may also lead us into kind of the, you know, the, you mentioned the six core uh, processes. Yeah, well, so, I, you know, in terms of leaders, when you're thinking about psychological flexibility, it's your ability to stay open and present, to stay focused and clear on what's most important to you, both big picture and in this moment, and then to take committed action towards those, those things, right, towards your values, towards your leadership values. And when you do that, it helps you when you're psychologically flexible as a leader, it helps you when you're caught in a crisis or you're needing to adapt to change, not get so bogged down by your emotions or so bogged down by your thoughts. It helps you take perspective in the moment and then choose what matters most right here. 
It also helps you in terms of um, working with, uh, we see that cognitive flexibility and psychological flexibility helps with innovation. So when you're, when you're more psychologically flexible, you're able to engage in more divergent thinking, right? It's one of the cornerstones of creativity and creating new ideas. When we're caught up in our thoughts, and we're bogged down by our thoughts, and we believe our thoughts to be true, sometimes uh, we can get really rigid. And psychological flexibility helps you kind of like break through some of those barriers and that rigidity and the rules that our, te- our mind tends to, to make and, and think uh-huh. out of the box, right? So that's really important in terms of leadership and growth and, look at growth and looking at new solutions to old problems, right? And then finally, I think ACT really helps leaders in terms of... Um, reducing burnout. And, you know, you're in a position where there's just a lot of demands on you. There's a lot of work stress. There's, uh, you know, always a never-ending to-do list. And when you have a sense of your values, of what, what's most important to you, what you care most about, they're very yeah. intrinsically rewarding. And engaging in your intrinsically rewarding activities helps you when you're when you're down, when you're overwhelmed, when you have, you know, when you're burdened by tasks, sort of getting clear on what matters most here, whether you're a parent, (laughs) right, you know, what wakes you up, you wake up in the middle of the night, you've got to take care of your kids. If you have a why behind that, you can actually dig deeper into something that can help you um, navigate that challenge. So I would say those um, are the areas where we see a lot of benefits in leadership. And then finally, I mean, I guess the last thing I would say is that a psychologically flexible leader will pass that and model that to their employees. And it's really that sort of marriage of both the psychologically flexible leader as well as psychologically flexible employees, which is a sweet spot to um, uh, really uh, engaged and effective workplace. Well, all those things you just said are are, are so valuable. And I know when we work with leaders, and one of the things to hook on to what you're saying is, you think about the key leaders uh, in organizations, and a lot of times we talk about who their best boss was, and many times mm-hmm. they mirror uh, and replicate what their best boss does. Now, it's not always the best. It may not always be the best thing, um, but the idea of them kind of leaving a legacy and kind of going back to the values, and I'll talk to leaders about that, uh, the practices that they do if they're effective, like the ones that you're talking about using ACT, that uh, I like to say that the leader is the emotional thermostat for the team. So they have the most influence, you know, around the team climate, uh, around who they are. And so if they're calm and they're cool and they're psychologically flexible, everybody else picks that up. If they're mm-hmm. tense, if they're pressured, everybody picks that up. And so that, that environment uh, is really impacted, you know, by the leader. And so with that, why don't you walk us through some of the, the core processes, and let me just say for our listeners, uh, Diana and her co-author have this uh, in her, her book, and you can get more of this information at drdianahill.com, where you can basically get a hold of her, you know, Act Daily Journal, and you can get more, more depth. But now we'll get a quick little overview, Diana. So yeah, why don't you walk us through some of the core processes? Sure, and maybe one visual you can think of is like a Rubik's Cube, and that there's six sides to a Rubik's Cube. So I'm going to talk about six core processes, like sides of a Rubik's Cube, that together build your psychological flexibility. And 
those processes, just like the size of a Rubik's Cube, influence each other, right? So um, you'll kind of notice, like, if you tinker with one side, it's going to tinker with the other. But it's good to kind of break it down. So one side of that Rubik's Cube is being present. We know about all the benefits of mindfulness and being present. There's a tremendous amount of research in that area now, and, and, and you know personally in your life, but also um, we know that from the benefits um, of things like um, emotional intelligence, being present, being mindful where it matters. So I won't spend too much time on that process. But another side of the Rubik's Cube is what you do with your emotions and difficult stuff that shows up, which is about acceptance. And in ACT, acceptance is actually one of the, the key strategies for, for being effective in, in, in the workplace. The reason being is that oftentimes pursuing your goals means that you are going to encounter stress, difficult sensations, difficult feelings, um, difficult thoughts. And it's, it's our getting entangled or trying to, to um, control or struggle with, with all that shows up as you're pursuing an important goal that can actually derail us from pursuing that goal. So acceptance skills are your ability to open up, allow, and be willing for the discomfort of living, especially because sometimes the discomfort of living, living comes along with the things that you care about. If you've ever been in a relationship, you know that, right? Like loving someone probably means that you're going to (laughs) hurt at some point. Loving your work probably means that you are going to hurt. And what what Stephen Hayes, another co-author or co-founder of ACT, has coined is you hurt where you care and you care where you hurt. So acceptance skills are a whole slew of skills that help you open up and allow and be willing for the discomfort of living so you can pursue your values. So those are the first two sides of the Rubik's Cube. Okay. And then the third, the third side has to do with our thoughts. And I mentioned that ACT is a little bit different than traditional cognitive behavioral therapy in that ACT, when, when, you, have, um, when you practice something called cognitive diffusion, you practice stepping back and making a little bit of space from your thoughts. In ACT, there's no efforts to try and control or change or replace thoughts because there's actually a good amount of research showing that what you suppress, when you suppress your thoughts, is a paradox of thought control. The more that you try and suppress a thought, the stronger it's going to rebound. So instead, you develop a series of skills to help you become aware of your thoughts, step back from your thoughts, get playful from your thoughts, not take your thoughts so seriously, and see that your thoughts sometimes are helpful or sometimes are not. As Thich Nhat Hanh would often say, which seeds do you want to water? Which seeds do you want to pay attention to? And it's less about pulling the weeds, right, than watering the seeds. So an act cognitive diffusion is a, is a third side of that Rubik's Cube where you step back in a little space from your thoughts. Those first three skills are very acceptance-based, and then there's some more sort of change-based skills that I could also talk to you about as well. But we could pause there because it's going to take a while to get through these six. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, good. So let's uh, zero in on. I think we kind of, you know, at least we're talking about the first three. So the the presentness um, and this idea that we've talked about in regards to emotionally brilliant. It's like in the moment we know that the gap between stimulus and response, and it sounds like act can really help to say, okay, well, first I got a gap, and so now in that gap, how do I deal with that? And often, you know, one of the things I'll talk to folks is, and, and I'm sure it's similar to what you talk to folks, you know, our thoughts are facts. So let's talk a little bit about the one that's, that's so interesting to me is really around the cognitive fusion, and then maybe we'll, you know, 
unpack that a little bit, and, or, and then we can get to the, you know, the other ones are the of uh, the Rubik cube. So, mm-hmm. um, when you say cognitive fusion, and again, just for our audience, so maybe just say a little bit of kind of what you know, how's that? Fu- what how's it fused? I mean, I, I know when I first saw that, I was like, okay, that is interesting. So, how are our thoughts fused, and then we get to defusion? Sure. So when you are fused with your thoughts, first of all, you don't even notice that you're thinking. You're just believing what your mind is saying. You know, our mind is constantly making commentary. Even as you and I talk, Riley, my mind is saying things. Even as I'm talking, your mind is saying things as you're talking. Our mind just produces thought all day long. And it's a really wonderful thing. But sometimes it can be one of the worst things in the world, right? So when your mind is waking you up in the middle of the night with all of your crises and to-dos that you have zero control over, it's not so helpful, right? Or when you're engaging in a really challenging work task and your mind is being incredibly critical and harsh and reminding you of all the ways in which you're not going to get this done. Our mind can be very unhelpful sometimes. Our mind can also um, be quite rigid and rule-bound. So it can become quite inflexible. And when we believe our rules or we get rigid or believe our shoulds and don't question them, we can end up in directions that we don't want to be headed in our life. So that's called cognitive fusion. Literally, like if you think about two pieces of metal that are stuck together, they are fused. So we can become fused with our own thoughts. And in traditional cognitive behavioral therapy, you would do certain things like challenge those thoughts or see if it's distorted and look for an alternative or come up with a positive thought. But what, um, what some of the research has found is that sometimes challenging or, or trying to um, engage with thoughts in that way actually can get you more entangled in them. And what we want to try and do is get a little bit of space from them. As you talk about in that space between stimulus and response, in between that space of thought and action, right, that's where our power lies. So with cognitive defusion, what you begin to do is just sort of the basic skill of mindfulness is I am not my thoughts. I am having the thought that X, Y, and Z, right? I am not that thought, but I'm having a thought. Um, and then we can also be very playful with it. So some of the, some of the act strategies around cognitive diffusion are everything from like, um, I think about I have a, my neighbor has a rooster next door. And this rooster crows like all day long and in the middle uh-huh. of the night too. Our mind is kind of like that, right? And I can almost relate to my thoughts sort of like that rooster, right? It's crowing along, but I don't have to put all my energy there. I have an observer self that can choose to put my energy towards my values. My thoughts don't get to run the show. I do. That's the practice of cognitive defusion. Yeah. Well, I love that. And, and uh you know, coming up with these visual metaphors, I told you just before this, I've supervised people who want to be coaches, and we talk a lot about, as a coach, being a thinking partner with and for the person. Um, mm-hmm. And so it really is trying to get the thoughts out there. So using the visual metaphor I've been using as of late is it's almost like a, a buffet table between me and the person that I'm coaching. And instead of food, all kind of food, it's... Uh, their thoughts, and so we have them between mm. us, and we can look at all these, and just like a buffet table, you're not grabbing every food, you're saying, oh, you know, that cheesecake, I'll save that for later, I'm going to go more with this salad, and then I'm going to have some protein, so you're selecting that, what's in front of you, and, and I think that's, you know, similar to what you're saying, is how do you 
get off that autopilot, and you have some of that in your in your book about autopilot. So you really select what will be helpful, constructive, you know, beneficial. Yeah, I love that. I love what are you going to choose, and you can choose based on sort of what's most helpful, right? So if you're thinking about right. that buffet. You're also thinking, when you, when you choose at a buffet, you're like, what am I going to enjoy? But also, what is healthy for me, right? Where, yeah. what, what's, what's most important in this moment? And with, with choosing, that's actually choosing thoughts is an act strategy. And thinking about choosing thoughts that line up with your values. So that's another side of this Rubik's Cube that's a really big one in act, sure. is that it kind of really does boil down to values. And act takes a little bit of a different approach values and that it sees values as qualities of action. So it's like verbs. So things like being compassionate or um, being present or being creative, right? That you can actually live out in the here and now. So just like you can point yourself north right now and take a step north, you can live your values in the here and now. They're also really personally chosen. So when we're coaching folks, when I'm working with with a client, it's really important that I'm not putting my values on the client, but oftentimes I'll talk about them being like favorite colors. Yours may be green and mine may be blue and green is not better than blue. But our work is to figure out what your values are and then how you can begin to express them in the important domains of your life. So how do you want to be, how do you want to show up yeah. as a friend, as a son, as a brother, as a, you know, as a, a leader? Right. Those are that's a big part of ACT because a lot of the work is getting clear on that and then that can direct your actions or even what, what, what thoughts you choose on that buffet table. Right. Well, that's, that's one of the parts. I mean, I think, uh, you know, knowing a little bit about ACT, you know, talking about the cognitive fusion, but then really bringing the values up front as a motivational factor. And I think, yeah, obviously, we all have values, but I don't, just don't think they're present and people are aware of them. And so, therefore, they don't become, you're kind of using that true north or that compass, they don't become that compass to say, wait a minute, you know, what is in my, what value do I want to bring to this situation? And often dealing with executives, I may say, you know, it's all this hap- this focus before the situation, you know, so if it's a big meeting, what value do I want to bring? How do I want to be in that? You know, really bringing that presentness and that awareness of those values so, you know, with ACT, you know, is it just asking them about their values? I mean, a lot of times there's values clarification and coaching. There's a lot about values. How do you, how do you bring that forward for people? Yeah, there's a number of different ways into looking at values. Um, one is going back to that Steve Hayes thing, you hurt where you care. <laughs> So one way into yeah. values is looking at what you, where, where you hurt. <laughs> and, and where you hurt often points to um, either there's a discrepancy. When you're talking about COVID and people during the pandemic, you know, all sorts of people aren't going back. They don't want to go back to where they were working. They're realizing this, was, this did not work for me. It's actually in that pain that we can get some clarity that yeah. we want to do something different here. We actually maybe want to do something called job sculpting, which um, I love that term. Of, it's from Timothy Butler and James Waldrop, and it's this idea that you sculpt your, you tail your work based on what's meaningful and fulfilling to you. And when, when we hurt, sometimes it's because we're out of alignment with our values. Yep. And we, that discrepancy is, is showing up 
as like, whoa, I'm way, thinking about headed north. I'm like heading east right now, and I'm, my compass is saying, whoa, I'm way off track. So that's a good place to start and, and act. We call that creative yeah. hopelessness, starting right where you are, where you hurt, and looking, that as maybe, looking at that as potentially some clues into what, what matters most right now. Another avenue uh, that I work with on um, folks with values is just getting sort of, um, if I was working with someone in the workplace, making some lists. Like what about if I were to write down sort of my tasks for my job, my daily tasks and my big picture tasks, ranking them from 1 to 10 on a couple of things. I have them rank them from 1 to 10 on how much vitality and how fulfilling is this task for me. I rank them on how stressful uh, is this task for me, how much, um, how much you know, day-to-day stress or discomfort does it bring. And then I also um, rank them on my, your skill set. How much does this align with my skill set? And one of the things that we want to do is we focus so much on the stress of our tasks, but actually it's more helpful to focus on the fulfillment because what you find is actually some tasks – that are fulfilling are also stressful. Right. I often will give workshops, and that's the most stressful time when I'm giving like, these like, big webinars or workshops. It's also probably the most fulfilling work that I do because I get to talk to a large group of people, right? So we spend a lot of time trying to get rid of our stress, but rather if we orient towards what's most fulfilling, we can relate yeah. to our stress differently because we can start to see that stress is actually showing that we care about something. So I have people rank those things and then start to look at where, what's fulfilling and then also what matches my skill set. And that's what we want to orient our work around. That's great. So we got vitality, we got stressful, and then skill set fulfillment. You know, it's, it's somewhat parallel that we would talk about, I heard the definition of a, of a strength, and it's really about mm-hmm. energy. So kind of like when you're doing your workshops, there's probably the pre you're excited about it, and there's a lot of energy. You know, we can frame that as stress or frame that as, like, hey, wow, I'm just excited about that. And then when you're right. doing, doing it, you're in that state of flow. So there's a lot of energy with it. And then afterwards, you have this kind of afterglow. So the, the pre, the during, and then the after, kind of about energy. And it's a different way of looking at strengths than somebody, like you said, can be good at something, but it's really stressful and it's more draining versus how do mm-hmm. I stay in those sweet spots, you know, that gives me that energy. Yeah. So and I, 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 think other... I was going to say another, oh, go another piece to kind of look at with values is that in ACT, just like pointing north, that we can continue to make adjustments throughout our day. And I really like the work of um, Joseph Sorochi around choice points, that we can notice when we're sort of off track from our values, off track from how we want to be in the world. And that's a choice point to begin to, to reorient again. So ACT is a, is a process-based approach. It's about process, not about necessarily getting to some end, end point. Like you never actually get north. You just keep on pointing right. north, right? And so that's the same idea of in, in those moments of like how, how can I reorient here when we notice that we're off track. So that would be a third way that I would approach values with folks is being able to notice okay. choice points. Yeah. And I like that choice point. I think that's kind of what we're talking about a little bit with this emotionally brilliant. In, in the moment, what do you, you know, what's your choice? What do you do? You really have to know about yourself. I mean, it's kind of input-output. You have to know about yourself. Mm-hmm. You have to know about others. So with all that information, what comes out of your mouth is the best choice, is the best expression, is the best decision, is the best strategy. 
Um, yeah. So this is what's kind of fun to talk to you about this because we're, you know, very aligned in, in trying to bring some of these messages to folks. Um, yeah. yeah. Why don't you highlight the other three, and then maybe we can zero back just so you maybe just name the other three of the of the six processes. Yeah, I think I think we've done four. So I think we've done being present, acceptance, cognitive diffusion, which is stepping back from your thoughts right. and values. Okay. And then the other two are perspective taking and committed action. So perspective taking is both your ability to take perspective on your own self story. We all get stuck in the I am this, I am not that. I'm a, you know, I'm not good at math, therefore I can't do this job or I am so smart, therefore, if I don't do this job, then I'm <laughs> an idiot, right? We get stuck in our self-story. So perspective taking helps you get a little bit of wiggle room with your self-story. But then it also helps you with um, the practice of zooming out and looking at the big picture of, of your life. Oftentimes, right. we're caught up in the egocentric me, and we get this really narrowed focus on ourselves. And that can be helpful at times. It can be helpful to be quite narrowed and focused on, on, on ourselves when we're doing, you know, a, a, a task that we need to be um, really uh, egocentric around. But it's really helpful to be able to step back and see the big picture. And that involves being able to not only take perspective on your own life, but get behind the eyes of others and take the perspective from other people's point of view. So we do a lot of work with perspective taking in ACT. One of the simple skills that I like to do with folks is look at the horizon there's some neuroscience that shows that when you look at things up close, it activates more egocentric parts of the brain. When you look at things far away, it activates more allocentric parts of the brain. So if you're in a meeting, look out at the horizon, look at other people's eyes, take perspective on what it might be like for them in the room, what's it like to, given their history, their, their context, their experience, um, and getting a little bit of that eyes out exercise, and then you can also do some eyes in of, of, you know, what's it like to be in my own body, and toggling between eyes out and eyes in. That's great. So we're going to take a a break in in a moment, but I love that because, you know, what brought me out to Santa Barbara was UC Santa Barbara in a program called Confluent Education, which really is based on uh, gestalt therapy and stuff, and so there was that shuttling exercise, just like you're saying, you know, what's going on with me, what's going on, the internal, external, which then, you know, mm-hmm. adds to that psychological flexibility. So we'll come, we'll come back, we'll take a break, we got one more principle, and then we can take a, a deeper dive in some of them. So you're listening to Leadership Development News, and come right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. How can you be brilliant in the moment? Given the daily challenges you face at work and home, how can you enhance your strengths and limit your weaknesses? Dr. Greenberg and Dr. Nadler's mission is to help people be the best version of themselves at work and at home with simple, trusted, evidence-based tips and tools. They have combined forces, applying the powerful science of emotional and social intelligence with the latest in e-learning and AI technology to bring you the Emotional Brilliance Academy. Through the leading Emotional Brilliance Academy programs. They help everyday leaders like you balance your emotions to better connect with people, enhance top performance, lead your teams, 
and your organization. The Emotional Brilliance Academy gives you a common sense approach to enhance your effectiveness and happiness both on and off the job. Sign up for the program, enhance your skills, and be your best self. For a free trial, go to freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. That's freetrial.emotionalbrilliance.com. EBA is powered by Fearless Leaders Group, the H2C Leadership Foundation, and True North Leadership. Icy Tech. Like the hard-working men and women that get up every day and do their job. The ones that stop at nothing to make sure that it's done right. It's not just an effort. It's not just know-how. It's a way of life. Icy Tech has been with you since 1998. And with the veteran community being behind you, we understand. With quality, with passion, we follow you in this way of life. Icy Tech, for those who get it. Icy Tech is a proud sponsor of the Emotional Brilliance Academy, where e-learning is leading edge. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC. You're listening to Leadership Development News, Profiles and Practices of Top Performers with your hosts, Dr. Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We know you have leadership questions for these noted experts, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Leadership Development News. We're talking with a top performer who is able to help us become more flexible as leaders, Dr. Diana Hill. And you can get in touch with her at drdianahill.com, drdianahill.com, and being able to see some of the um, services she has, and especially we're talking about her ACT Daily Journal, Get Unstuck and Live Fully with Acceptance and Commitment Therapy, but also training for our corporate folks out there. So, Diana, we've covered five of the six core principles. Why don't you... Give us number six, and then we'll zero in on anything else. Sure. Well, the sixth principle of psychological flexibility has to do with action, right? And I'm sure as leaders, we're always interested in that one, right? How do I, how do I put this into practice? And it's called committed action. And committed action is about taking action towards your values, even in the face of obstacles. So the committed action process really develops um, and is really built on a lot of behavioral science, like how do you create contexts that support you carrying out your values, right? What is your, what is your environment like? How does that support you? It also has to do with reinforcing the things that you want to grow and some of those behavioral principles. But I would say the most important one is breaking them down into really small, tiny, as B.J. Fogg would say, tiny habits. So 
small achievable goals that you can that you can carry out and be successful at so that oftentimes I find that what gets in the way for folks in terms of carrying out their their values is that they set these these goals that are really big leaps and big leaps are hard to um, achieve and then you feel really down that you didn't achieve them and you give up so being able to incorporate your daily values your values into your daily life with little small strategies so for example if you are interested in increasing your movement while at work that's something that a lot of people care about is moving more at work how do you insert in for me it's like i will stand and i'll um i'll stretch while i'm you know working during the day on um an article right so being able to build those daily habits into your life is part of committed action and I know for, you know, any of our listeners, you know, that aspect of committed action is, can always be stressful. There's, you know, so many deadlines and, and you rely on other people to, you know, do what they said they're going to do. And, you know, that's where some of those tough conversations can happen. And I imagine mm-hmm. it would go back to if this is a leader having a conversation with someone around something that didn't happen, going back to some of the key values that they have as a, as a team or individually, you know, so maybe just say a word about, you know, if someone came to you and the people on their team aren't uh, getting things done, you know, so the, the committed actions aren't happening, you know, what would be a, a, a focus or conversation you want to have about that from the act value? Yeah, well, the first thing that I would do, and this goes back to Thich Nhat Hanh, is do some deep listening, Right. Right. So, so before going into action, I would start with some deep listening about um, hearing what the problem is and what people's perspectives are, mm-hmm. and invalidating that. Like you don't actually have to agree with someone's feeling or their perspective right. to validate them, but yep. you can deeply listen by asking questions and also understanding, getting a clearer sense on what is the context, getting cl- sense on what is you know, taking perspective on what's the why behind behind what happened here because oftentimes when people aren't meeting a uh, a goal or not taking committed action there's there's lots of reasons and they may have to do with things outside of the workplace as well yeah. uh so th- these are humans right in the world they may have other things going on so doing some deep listening and then you also mentioned when we were chatting um earlier about this the writing reflex is this sort of urge to correct <laughs> Right? right, to set people right, to fix people, and uh, as a as a barrier, and we write we write about that a little bit in the Act Daily Journal. But what's interesting, and this comes from the work of Stefan Rolnick, who's one of the founders of motivational interviewing, and he's written a lot about the writing reflex, is that our attempts to try and control someone and set them right, or to control ourselves and set set ourselves right, can often rebound and can lead to resistance. It yeah. also prevents people from developing the problem-solving skills that they need. So if you're always solving someone else's problem, they don't develop the skill set of how to solve the problem on their own, which is ultimately what you want as a leader, right? You want your organization to be able to be, to some degree, like solve as many problems as you can. Don't bring them to me. So being able to notice that urge to fix and be able to sit with the, the discomfort of the messiness of it not being fixed and how helping people grapple with the problem-solving process is an important part of, um, of, of being able to um, not go straight into fixing and controlling the situation. 
And I love that uh, term, the writing reflex. You know, in, in the coaching school where I've been with for quite a while, that's one of the biggest aspects. You know, we uh, you have to have a master's or PhD to get this coaching certification. And so we really get, you know, great, really smart people, all kind of different, you know, corporations, organizations, medical doctors, MBAs. Um, yeah. And the biggest question uh, comes up, well, well, when can I give advice? When can I give advice? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that writing reflex. And it's also kind of the, you know, that negativity bias that Roy Biomaster talks about that I think that the brain just goes there so fast, you know, of what is wrong, what could be wrong, how do we fix it? And, that, and it's probably that acceptance part of not staying with the discomfort. And just like you said, Diana, you know, I always say to folks, who's doing the heavy lifting? You know, are you training your people to think? Probably not. You're saying, hey, you're doing all the thinking. You know, why, why should they do any thinking? And so really having those conversations about what's their ideas and what do they think and what's their solutions and what's their recommendations. Mm-hmm. But that writing reflex, one of the metaphors I've been using lately, is if you ever did deep sea fishing and the fish, you catch a fish and it just takes off and, and you're holding mm-hmm. that line, well, to me, that's kind of the brain and that's, that writing reflex. It's just, it's just taken off. could be in the wrong direction. And then, you know, maybe through acceptance and some of the things you're saying, how do we slowly reel it back? But it is that urge to just take off in, in, in some way that, you know, may try to solve it, but it you know, often may not solve it. Yeah. So whether it's in the workplace or, or even in your home, if you're doing 95% of the work, the yeah. other person will do 5%. <laughs> yeah. I learned that from that parenting coach a long time ago, Dr. Sticks read. He was like, if you're doing 95%, guess, guess how much your kid is going to do? Stop, yeah. doing, stop working so much. And then other people will start to show up. And, um, and that does require psychological flexibility because it requires you to be able to pause and notice your patterning. My yeah. patterning is to fix and control. And for high achievers... That's often yep. what got them to the high achievement place. Like they're really good fixers and really good controllers. So it's not that that skill set is, is bad. It's right. how workable is it for you? And in ACT, we don't necessarily label things as good as good or bad, like always do this or always do that. It's, it's about context. And in certain contexts, I actually would say a writing reflex is helpful. Like sometimes sure. you do need to just reorient here. Like things are getting out of control. I need to take, you know, take control because yep. I know the right direction for us to go. But a lot of the time, the writing reflex actually gets us and gets um, sort of us gets in the way of our organization being able to grow and be um, yeah. uh, more flexible as, as a whole and, and develop skills. Well, I think it's, it's so true, and I think you know, working with organizations around leadership development, succession planning, you know, you may have the right answer, but also is that writing reflex, you know, will come up with an answer within three to four seconds. And I would say, mm-hmm. do you think the person that you're dealing with thought about it for more than three or four seconds? You know, maybe they, and what makes you think you're going to have the right answer in three or four seconds? They may have thought about it for a half a day before. Mm-hmm. Why don't you find out what they did, what they tried, what worked, what didn't work, what obstacles? And then if you, uh, then you got so much more information to basically, you know, give your advice. So that whole idea of, uh, we talk about having a bucket full of, ideas, and can you let the person drain their bucket first before you go to your bucket of your ideas? And so sometimes that's a good metaphor 
when people are so hungry to and, and so reinforcing to be the problem solver. So, it also is really empowering for the employee because you yeah. feel like you, you feel affirmed and valued. And that's one of the things I actually interviewed Stefan Rolnick, that motiva- founder of Motivational Interviewing on the Psychologist Off the Clock podcast. And one of the things that he talks a lot about mot- in terms of motiva- motivation and motivating um, people to change is this concept of affirmation. That yeah. when you affirm people, when you value people, when you, you give them the sense that their ideas matter, it is yeah. incredibly motivating. And they want to continue working for you, right? When you yeah. come in and, like, chop off their ideas quickly because you have a better one, and you've, we've all, you can think about to take perspective on yourself when other people have done that to you, it, right. it shuts you down and, it, and you don't feel empowered, and then you stop generating ideas. Exactly. And the okay. like, effective workplaces are ones where there's a lot of good ideas coming coming up, a lot of divergent thinking, and and they aren't all coming from you because you only have yeah. one perspective, you only have one lived experience. We grow yeah. through diversity and diversity of expect, uh, perspectives. That's so true. You know, uh, one of the premier coaches, Marshall Goldsmith, in in his book, "What Got You Here Won't Get You There." What do many leaders do? They try to add too much value. And I think as a parent, it's the same thing. And it's that idea, Mm -hmm. if something's broken and it really needs to be fixed, yeah, go ahead and add your value. If you're only adding 10 or 20%, you should bite your tongue and let the person walk away with a win. What I would call is a wah-wah. Let them walk away with a win. And if your idea is so good, why don't you wait 24 hours and let them have Mm -hmm. that sense, like you're saying, of, of empowerment. Hey, so before we, before we end, uh, this idea of this go-to, and when, like when you're in that gap, and it, what's your go-to? And I, I'll say a word about it. Like for me, and I think trying to train people uh, in leadership, you know, so in their gap, what, what do they pull out? And for me, it's typically curiosity. If I can stay curious, ask good questions, have empathy, it allows me to not be judgmental, but everybody's different. So let's say when you're, you know, in a, in a stuck situation, stressful, what's your go-to? My go-to these days is compassion, and that's what I've been, actually, we included our first chapter of the book. Before you do the rest of all these processes, you start with preparing the ground with compassion, and compassion both for myself as well as for the other person. So... Compassion is our ability when we are struggling, when we're having a hard time or something's just challenging in life, which is a lot of the time, to be able to turn towards ourselves with kindness, with presence, and with an understanding that we're part of a bigger whole, a sense of belonging. And so self-compassion is doing those three things. And then being able to do that for somebody else, being able to see, you know, send kindness to them, be present with them, and also help them feel like they belong. And when I do that, it just soothes me all down and makes me feel like it's going to be okay. You know, no matter what challenge arises, if, I'm, if I can be kind to myself and I can be kind to other people in it, then right. we can navigate a lot in the world that ultimately humans are meant to work together and to be social and pro-social, I think, and activating those parts of our brains, um, especially in a world of a lot of competitive drive, is a nice balancing. Well, that's great. And I think it brings in that perspective taking that you're saying also is, you know, bringing that perspective of compassion. 
So mm-hmm. um, for our audience to get some more information, you know, about Diana Hill, Dr. Diana Hill, Act Daily Journal, and her website, www.dr for drdianahill.com. So, Diana, thanks so much for taking the time, and, and, and I'll be looking forward to hopefully we can connect professionally, you know, in some other uh, venues. But you've been great, and I'm really glad that you were able to be with us today. Thank you. It's an honor and delight to speak with you. I really appreciated the time we had together. All right. Well, thanks, Diana. And this is Leadership Development News. Tune in to tune up your performance, and we'll speak with you again next week. Thank you. You've been listening to Leadership Development News, profiles and practices of top performers with your hosts, Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler. We sincerely hope that you gained some great ideas and inspiration on how to elevate your leadership skills. Join us again next Monday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time right here on the Voice America Business Channel.